This episode of Into the Wild is sponsored by Leica Sport Optics. It's well known and proven that connecting with wildlife and nature can improve your overall well-being. So why would you not want to turn it up a notch by getting to see things even closer and clearer with a set of binoculars? It's what I have done and I have not looked back. I can't recommend enough checking out the range of optics that Leica have to offer. A great range of kit with superb optics and they even have payment plans if you don't have the cash up front. I wouldn't shout about a company on the show that I haven't used or been impressed by, and it's important to me that companies we are partnered with have the same values as Into the Wild, which is why I'm proud to give them five thumbs up. If you want to check out more of Leica's range, then visit their website that can be found in the write-up of this episode. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to Into the Wild, your weekly podcast all about wildlife conservation and nature. I'm your host, Ryan Dalton. Thanks, as always, for clicking play on the pod. Hello nature nerds, how you doing? Welcome to another episode of Into the Wild. I am smiling. Guess why I'm smiling? Because as I record this now, a mere t- 20 minutes ago, Liz Truss, the Tory political party leader, MP, whatever we want to call them, has just resigned. <laughs> Get in, 44 days. I've had longer holidays. Um, <laughs> I haven't actually, I wish I had. But she's resigned and we're all ready and waiting to see which head comes along next. Um, we need a general election. Oh, this isn't a political podcast, but everything's political. So we're gonna talk about it. Um, <laughs> really, she tried to up and it didn't go to plan, did it? So let's see what, what happens next. Come on, Britain, let's try and do this. Um, I'm also happy because it's Thursday the 20th of October and tonight we are premiering, premiering in, we're screening for the first time publicly beyond the trigger live on YouTube at 7 o'clock BST, British summertime, um, which is very, very exciting. I'm, I'm absolutely buzzing and pumped to do it. So at this point, when you're listening to this, we've already done it. So I hope it went well. Um, <laughs> and I will say at this point, uh, apart from this, that's, that's the last premiere. We're now taking it around UK universities and hopefully internationally, if anyone would like to see it. Um, so if you are at a university, at a college, at a school, or part of a wildlife conservation group, or you just want to host a massive screening of the film, then please don't hesitate to get in touch. Instawildpod at gmail.com. Give us a shout. We can do this remotely. We can do this in person. We can bring a live Q&A element to the show as well. We can bring that to you. And we're more than happy to do so. Anyway, on to today's show. Let me just cross this road. Safety first, lads. Safety first. This lady gonna let me go? No. Welcome to Britain, everyone. Welcome to Britain. Um, <laughs> uh, so, on to today's show, what are we talking about today? We're talking about an animal that I, I used to. I'm gonna hold my hands up here. I guess you could call it vilify? That, that actually, no, that's too strong, did I? I used to do stand-up routines about how much this animal annoyed me. So maybe it was vilified, I don't know. But we used to do, or I used to do <laughs> some sound about this animal until I started to realize their beauty. It's that same old thing, and one just flew in my face right there. Literally, as I'm talking to you now, is that? What is it? It is, yellow jacket. <laughs> so I learned more about the complexities of this species, the diversities, the importance of the species. Obviously like that, that age old thing, 
once I learned to love it, I learned to care about it. Um, it's wasps. We're talking about wasps. And there's only one person I want to talk to about wasps on Into the Wild. And that's someone I met at the RES, the Royal Entomological Society, uh, big five year plan earlier this year. And that is Professor Serian Sumner. Now, Professor Serian won me over with wasps when I met her in person and on the show as well. And I will say, if you're listening to this episode and you're driving a car, that's absolutely fine, just be careful. Or if you're on a walk out in nature, I would encourage you to listen to it at another point because there's gonna be points of this podcast where you're gonna wanna Google image some species we're talking about. Obviously, please continue to listen if you don't have time to listen to it at another point, but you're gonna want to Google. So try and safely make notes of these species. Um, Just don't take your eyes off the road and enjoy your nature walk. But we go into huge detail, well I don't, Serian does, about uh, the UK species, the importance of them, the diversity. We also talk about global species, some of uh, Serian's favourite species, and really the importance of what they do, why they're here, and why we need more strengths in our wasps (laughs) and the populations as well. So this episode is quite simply titled Wasps with Professor Serian Sumner. Serian, welcome to Into the Wild. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you, but I felt like I was shouting at the beginning then. I don't know why I went in so loud. I've had three (laughs) coffees today, that's why. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like one of those, it's midweek coffee day, isn't it? Yeah. It's a Wednesday. I've been been teaching for two hours today, so that's pretty much zapped all of my energy out. So (laughs) I might be slightly lower energy levels than normal. We're on the opposite end of the spectrum right now. (laughs) We are, we are. (laughs) Let's see if by the end we've met in the middle. Let's see. Um, Welcome to Intuart. It's lovely to have you here. Let's just jump straight in and get you to introduce do you want to tell us all who you are and what is it you do? Yeah, I am Serian Sumner and I am a professor of behavioural ecology at University College London. So that means that I do teaching of undergraduates and postgraduates, but um, I also do research. And one of my favourite research topics concerns insects and particularly social insects, bees, wasps and ants, and trying to understand their um, ecology and evolution. But I have to confess, I've got a little bit of a, of a thing for one particular group, which is the wasps. <laughs> which, which I honestly, in my life, said no one ever. So I can't wait. I've never heard anyone go, do you know what? It's the wasps that I like. <laughs> I know, but isn't that, I, I, I like to, you know, I like to be a bit different. So, yeah. you know, wasps, <laughs> unexpected. And it's bizarre, actually, because when I have conversations with people about what I do, um, they sort of forget that I said wasps. And they'll they'll morph it into bees. And they'll say, so tell me more about the bees. And I say, oh, you mean the wasps? <laughs> it's weird. It's like they their brain just cannot, cannot yeah. compute. Wasps cannot compute. <laughs> yeah. And we'll, and do you know what? Because we'll I've got a theory on this, but I'm going to come back to that in a minute because I, d- I don't want to jump ahead because I want to ask you one more thing. Being, obviously, you love wasps. You love social insects and ants and bees, which ditto with that as well. <laughs> so you're a nature person. So what has been your nature highlight in the last seven days? You must have done something think that you were like oh this was a nice moment 
Well, actually, I guess I have. And it's partly connected with uh, the teaching that I'm doing at the moment. So I Mm. teach a behavior ecology course at UCL. And I try to, I think it's terribly boring if you just stand up and give lectures to students and expect that to be a one-way delivery and you sit there and listen to what I have to impart. (laughs) Gone are those days. So um, I tried uh, putting some little videos together and actually lots of them were were stolen from people on Twitter. I did credit them. um, Where of of insects doing interesting things. So some of them were wasps like who are waving their antennae in some kind of semaphore crazy stuff. Um, others were sort of interacting bees. Um, but then I happened to be going for a walk last weekend, which is just within the seven days, I guess, where I live in, out in Oxfordshire. And there are sh- so many ivy mining bees out at the moment, Kalitis yes. hederi. And so if you find a, a exposed part of earth, you know, in a park or anything, the odds are that these bees will be buzzing all over it and it's a carpet of bee swarms and the number of times i've had people come to me going oh there's wasps everywhere we've got wasps all over especially in children's playgrounds they're like oh there's wasps and i said no they're bees and they go oh Oh, and and also, yeah, and then but i and then i said well actually they're all males they're all male bees buzzing around and what they're waiting for is to pounce on a on a female as she comes out of her burrow so either as a new newly emerged female virgin <laughs> pounce on her um and they and then they do they, they totally pounce on her and they form this mating ball with a whole ball of bees i saw the photo it's, did you see it on twitter today it won yes. the wildlife photographer yeah. of the year photo that's didn't right it? yeah Beautiful. so that's a different species but i did it does exactly the same yeah that's i think that was in america um but the, yeah exactly the same thing it's a bundle of males and somewhere in the middle is some poor female who's being raped basically it's hideous and (laughs) and then they and it and it's lovely and so i i filmed them just on my mobile phone quite rubbishy film but then i made them into a little film um Mm. to give to my undergraduates and they had to sort of look about look at behavior and work out what's going on um and i even made it into a little film with a voiceover and it's really interesting because there's some research that shows that there is a pheromone that's the so it's a chemical volatile Mm. chemical that the males use to find the females they know this because there are these um blister beetles which are parasites of the bees brood parasites and these these blister beetles produce the same pheromone they mimic the, the the pheromone of a female which causes the males to come in and and then the males get covered in these beetles because they you know they go to a, a a plant or something where the beetles are and the beetles are going oh i smell like a female come and see me come and find me and the males go there and then they get covered in beetles because they just hook on to them to the to the male bee and then the male bee then goes to find a, a real female and while he's mating with her he trans that all these uh beetle larvae will kind of scurry onto the female um and then the female of course goes into her burrow with some pollen and and puts it in with her brood and then the uh, beetle uh the blister beetle larvae are parasites of the brood of of the food so isn't that amazing that, the only reason this is where nature incredible? is so <laughs> specific. Like, so, like, that's how delicate the natural world is. Yeah, yeah. That if those bees went, buy beetles. Like, yeah, no, exactly. That's insane. And, and the really interesting thing, you know, the thing is that we everybody 
probably most of your listeners will have seen these bees, mm. like swarms of bees on the ground. And they thought, oh, there's some bees. Or maybe they'll think there's wasps. And they just go, oh, look, there's some bees. But actually, there's so much more going on there. It's not just, oh, there's some bees. There's some yeah, bees. There's a there's whole some story really going on here. Yeah. yeah. I also love the fact that this might happen in a park near you and someone says to you, oh, there's wasps. And then you go in and tell that story and they go, what were the chances that I spoke to Serian <laughs> Sumner <laughs> and I mis-ID'd a social insect and damn, did I get a lecture? <laughs> so these bees are actually solitary bees, so they're not social. They, they form oh, they're not, little, it's, yeah, it's no, they're not even social. Yeah, I'm not even supposed to know about them because they're not solitary, they're not social, but... Um, <laughs> Oh yeah, but, yeah, you said so about that, a burrow, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Single burrow. <laughs> so that's, I guess, that is my biggest nature highlight in the last seven days because I have been uh, thinking about that is it. That's a solid highlight and very topical with the photographer of the year, despite being a different species. Indeed. But, yeah, it was lovely. I saw it today and I was like, oh, that is a beautiful photo. That it's beautiful. A beautiful so now photo. I know, it's nice to know I know a bit more about it now. <laughs> there we go. So I don't know that the same blister bee, uh, beetle thing happens with those that species um, i think it was american bee i remember quickly checking but it'll be there'll be a similar pheromone thing i would imagine maybe possibly probably because if there's competition Somehow. for one female well they, they will up. yeah they will certainly have a pheromone but whether there's mm. a beetle that mimics a beetle larva that mimics the pheromone in order to get dispersed into the right place oh we have to find I don't out know. now should we do some research Find after it. the pod and we'll reply on Wildlife and Photographer of the Year? That's a good idea. I think you reply, you reply, because there's probably currently a lot of men replying to that photo with science information. So let's let's swap it up and stop the men doing it. All right, I'll do my best. <laughs> um, okay, so let's talk about this because wasps, like you said, is something which sends this, and I will hold my hands up to being guilty of this throughout my life. In When I was doing stand-up comedy, I had a bit, about wasps right and i will say now but i evolved it (laughs) i evolved it to be more specific because when i learned more about wasps i was like oh i'm not talking about the entire species divert i'm talking about the one or two the one (laughs) yeah we all know the the one so yeah but they do get that reaction if you bring them up like you know the same reaction you get over babies on a plane right it's like oh please don't come near me like that's you don't want that on a long-haul flight (laughs) but You have the opposite feeling for wasps. So what is it about wasps that you adore? So, yeah, okay. So I guess to back up here, I was once like you in fact you know i did i didn't like wasps i haven't yeah. always loved wasps it's not like i've gone through childhood adoring wasps and then i now have my dream birth, job Ryan. of studying wasps <laughs> <laughs> it's a birthright yeah i am um, i didn't like them at all in fact i wasn't really into creepy crawlies at all either and i was the first to swat them at the picnic or run away <laughs> generally um and it was uh, sort of by accident that i ended up studying them and also falling in love with them so i was firstly i was I was misled into my journey with wasps and it's all the fault of Jeremy Field who ended up being my PhD supervisor. I love the way there's someone to actually blame. Because <laughs> he had a P- It's It's his fault. It is definitely his fault. Damn it, Jeremy. I, have lot- <laughs> I have a lot to thank him for as well because I wouldn't be where I am today without him. So he had this PhD going which was um, on uh, animal behaviour. So studying the behaviour, behaviour ecology of, the, of, of these insects, it just so happened that they were a wasp. And I really wanted to study behaviour and I couldn't believe it that there was this PhD place going and he was interested in 
me. And I remember having this conversation with him saying, it sounds really interesting project, but there's a problem. I don't like wasps. And he said, oh, no, 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 don't worry. These wasps don't stink. They, they don't stink. They'll be fine. You, you'll be fine. <laughs> that I was a big I, fat I lie. I can predict. Yeah. That was a big fat <laughs> lie. Uh, except that, um, obviously, so all hunting wasps do sting. So there are about 30,000 species of stinging wasps, and they all have stings. It just so happened that these wasps were especially good entry-level wasps because they're very delicate. They do have stings, but really it's like a little fragrant tickle. Um, entry-level wasps. <laughs> entry-level wasps. <laughs> Sounds like a band at Reading Festival. <laughs> totally should be. Totally it should, should be. be. Yeah. <laughs> entry-level so wasps. Entry-level wasps. The entry-level wasps live in Southeast Asia. They're hover wasps. Within a few weeks of starting my PhD, I found myself lying on the jungle floor in uh, Malaysian rainforest with a wasp nest right dangling above my nose which sounds horrendous but it, <laughs> it was fascinating so these they're quite small nests there's only about sort of up to 10 individuals on any of these nests they are social but they show these really simple stages of sociality so they're a little bit like an insect form of a meerkat society in that they're cute and they show oh, right. lots of different types of behaviors um and but they're all <laughs> They are cute. They were cute. They still are cute. Um, they take on different roles in the colony, um, but there is only one egg layer and the rest are workers. These are these insects are really great for trying to understand the origins of group living and altruism. So uh, it's very what cool. was the name of them? Uh, hover wasps. Stinogastrine hover wasps. Oh, they're very delicate looking. They are very delicate. They've got long, they've got the supermodel oh, wasp. Abdomen, waist. abdomen is it, Wow. Okay, no, I see it. Yeah, you see it now? They're cute, right? They are cute. <laughs> they are cute. They they almost <laughs> they almost look like a like a Gucci model. <laughs> oh my god. Exactly. I always like, you know, they are with this long, thin waist. Yeah. They are the supermodels. In fact, there are many, many wasps. Uh, do you know what word like I'd use to describe this wasp? Stiletto. Oh yeah, indeed. Yes, the definitely. The stiletto of the wasp. World. They are the stiletto of the wasp. World. In fact, they. Well, actually, you need to Google another wasp, which is Bolognagaster. These are the African wasps, and they have even they're bigger and they have even longer wasp waists, and they are truly magnificent looking. So they're also cute. Actually, they do have a whopping sting. So I won't pretend that those are entry level. I was just, just going to say the sting <laughs> does look bigger on. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely not. They're like grade three or four. You know, you need to get through this, the levels to get. <laughs> that one <laughs> they're like the baddie at the end of level three that's don't right yeah exactly yeah with, yeah yeah lots the... of people give up when they get to Bologna yeah. Gaster <laughs> don't don't yeah just give start with the entry level wasps yeah. <laughs> um okay people listening do google those species but also if you're driving don't wait don't. Until you um, <laughs> it's always important to say uh... so you had your entry level wasp and then the, the other thing about the entry-level wasps is that uh, we painted each one, each wasp individually, so it had her own special markings, and that allowed us oh. to follow individuals. And then watching them was really, it's like the best of insect soap operas, um, because you can see them interacting, and you can remove wasps and see how that affects their behaviours. And I just kind of got into the soap opera of wasps. It was definitely the soap <laughs> opera that won me over. Um, and then, yeah, so then, but, but loving wasps, I can't say... It was a very personal thing for me at that time. Mm. You know, I, I realised that many other people didn't like wasps. But it was many years before I realised that actually 
maybe I should start doing something about this. And I also realised that not everybody was so enthralled and entranced by the beauty of social wasps and their soap opera. Um, and that's when I began to think more about the sort of the ecosystem services that wasps provide and realizing that well, it's like all of the energy of the in, of the um, insect community had been had been zapped into the uh, appreciating the bees and their role as pollinators and the wasps have been completely overlooked. So very little research has gone into understanding what wasps do. But we do know that they're pest controllers and pollinators and seed dispersers. And, you know, they're really important everything, in the environment. Everything, everything yeah. pretty much everything. <laughs> they do what bees do and the rest. Um, and so I think, you know, that's kind of why I realised that actually I have fallen in love with wasps because I've had this personal journey with them. But also other people need to also fall in love with wasps because they are really useful. And I think once people see a utility for something that they otherwise find a bit difficult to like, then they will be more likely to, to to tolerate them. I mean, maybe people won't love them, but I think if people understand that wasps do really useful things in the environment, then they will tolerate the fact that wasps sting. As we do, you know, if a bee stings you, you go, oh dear, the bee's going to die. I'm so sorry. Which is only honeybees, of course, but everybody thinks that all bees die when they sting you. It's only the honeybee. But when a wasp stings you, you feel angry, right? And whereas yeah. I think if we understood better about what wasps do, we would feel the same way about wasps as we do about bees. I also think like people probably see other species of wasps and don't realise it's a wasp, right? Totally, yeah. So that I mean, you know, your your joke, your stand up comedy sketch about wasps yep. will be on the yellow jacket wasps, the picnic yes. bothering. <laughs> yes. And the, they the, the <laughs> idiots yes. of the wasp world. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I and and they have won wasps a bad reputation but there are yeah. only in the UK we have um well we have eight or nine if you include the um yellow-legged asian hornet nine species of vespine wasp which includes the mm. yellow jackets and the hornets but the one the only ones that will ever bother you at, the, at your picnic in the UK will be there's two species Vespula vulgaris and Vespula germanica and they do right. come to your picnics because you've got lots of lovely dead you've meats got lots of food and you've and got sugar food. Uh, yeah exactly yeah 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 uh, <laughs> very simple lads <laughs> it's like how can we blame them yeah. but but they do, they do get bothersome. And I have lots of tips on how to deal with wasps at picnics. But the point is that the, in the UK, there are another seven, there are about 7,000 species of wasps. 7,000 in the yes, UK? 7,000, but there are only nine species of social wasps. So all the other 6,991 species are solitary. And just as you wow. said, most people probably wouldn't even recognise them as a wasp. They probably didn't even notice There's them. There's not many people that would have seen all of the species. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, this is the thing. We're, we're, our gardens are nine times out of ten not prepped for the majority of wildlife. So it's yeah, like you're not. Yeah. You're only going to see the ones that are really, I would imagine, this might be wrong saying this, but really kind of the more common species. Sure. Which are coming to eat our food and stuff. Yeah, I mean, but I think also that we don't know, we don't recognise things of wasps as wasps because either they look a bit like flies. Yeah. So if you have your windows open on a sunny day and you have lots of flying things that come in your house and sit on your window, then probably most of those, uh, if they're tiny, 
they're probably parasitic wasps. Not the best seller name either, is it? Uh, well, no, but parasitic wasps, parasitoid wasps are truly amazing. So they don't, one reason to love parasitoid wasps is that they don't sting. So they don't Perfect. have a sting. They have an ovipositor, which is an egg-laying tube. Um, so the sting of the hunting wasps is just a modified egg-laying tube. Right. So, you know, I think that might soften the blow Where a bit. are they laying this egg? <laughs> uh, well, not, not anyone yet. Yeah, so actually parasitoid wasps are really... Because <laughs> I can hear the listeners going, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather get stung. <laughs> <laughs> so they're not interested in you at all. And they will lay their egg in or on some kind of prey item, which might be a caterpillar or a beetle larva or a spider or something. Mm. Um, and then, and they, they, they lay, they, they'll find the caterpillar in, you know, on your lettuce plants or something and, and they'll lay the egg and then the egg will hatch and then the baby wasp, baby wasp, cute baby wasp will oh. then, <laughs> will then eat the caterpillar alive from the inside out. Yeah. Not, Normally, not so cute. Not so cute, but really useful. But but really, really useful if you want nature's pest controllers to help you get rid of your pests in your garden. Um, right. So, yeah, parasitoid wasps are really useful, and in fact, that is if any if any ecosystem service of wasps has been appreciated, it is the pest controlling power of these parasitoid wasps and there are you know there are there are factories that farm mm. parasitoid wasps in order to release into fields of, 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 of yeah fields of um how of is crops. how is that like how do we find of well i guess what's your view on that kind of stuff because i know sometimes we 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 think about that going well we're releasing these into the environment that's a good thing but is there a risk of like disease spread onto this kind of stuff if we're releasing mass for crops do we have to be careful with that kind of thing well i think they are so these these are farmed in you know, in quite careful conditions, whether they had diseases or not. Well, if you're if you're introduced, to the problem with parasitoid wasps is that we often introduce them to other countries to use in non-native places. Mm. So they can sometimes carry all sorts of problems there. But parasitoid wasps do generally they are not such a problem because they tend to be very prey specific. So they will go for a particular kind of prey. So when that prey has gone, so your pests on your plants have gone. They will just die out because there there might there won't be any other specific prey that they have evolved to be good parasites right. of. So they do tend to be quite prey. That's specific. quite handy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, some of them are generalists. Having said that, but the ones that we use as pest control uh, on a commercial they level. When I say we, I don't mean niche. me. I mean those who use them. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah, in the one <laughs> pouring out parasitic wasps across the countryside. You should see my house. I've got like my hot airing cupboard is full of parasitoid wasps. <laughs> <laughs> Every <laughs> drawer in this house. <laughs> parasitic everywhere. wasps everywhere. Um, I've, okay, so I want to go back to something you just said, though, because I can hear some people asking this question. If they look like a fly, if they're the size of a fly, why are they a wasp? Okay, so this is basic entomology. Flies have one pair of wings, so one each side, and flies have quite big eyes and teeny weeny antenna normally. They have mm -hmm. quite small antenna. Wasps have, uh, so whether they're parasitoids or they're hunting wasps, so all the hymenoptera um, and also bees and ants as well, um, have two pairs of wings. Um, the back pair tends to be a bit smaller. Mm -hmm. um, the eyes are still big, but not as big as the flies, and they often have quite long antenna. Right. So those are the main main characteristics. And those are the features. There you go. So yeah, I like it when it's easy. <laughs> <laughs> Just got to remember those two things. Cos, Ryan, they look different. All right, go over it. Move on, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Where, did you say about 9,000 species in the UK? Was that the number 7, you said? 7,000, 7, yeah. 7,000, sorry. 7, 000, so 7,000 yeah. species in the UK, approximately. What's the diversity like in regards to appearance? Like, is it massively different or do you kind of get these groups clumping together? Well, no, massively different. I think one of the, uh, what, so parasitoid wasps, I think one of my biggest insects in my insect collection is a parasitoid wasp that I caught in the UK. And she's, a, I don't know, we take into account her ovipositor. She's about five centimetres long. She's huge oh, wow. and really beautiful. Like, you know, there's long flowing antenna and a very long wasp base. And then the solitary, so then you could, so in parasitoid wasps, they can range. In fact, the smallest insect is a parasitoid wasp. We the don't get them in the insect. UK. Yeah, the fairy fly it's called, but it's actually a Oh wasp. my God, I've got to Google than... it. Yeah, fairy fly. Of course fly. it's very called the fairy cute. fly. Why would yeah. it not be? <laughs> this is what annoys me with science. It's called the fairy fly. What is it? It's a wasp. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. It's, uh, it only lives for hours, I think. That, even a picture of it, you know that's tiny. <laughs> yeah, it's tiny. It's like, like it one almost looks see-through. Yeah, no, they are super, super tiny. So that is the smallest insect in the world. And wasps get to be enormous, not in this country, but the largest wasp in the world, uh, well, one of the largest is the tarantula hawk wasp. <laughs> Which hunts tarantulas. <laughs> just, just put any terrifying word in front of oh, yeah, This is I a devil tarantula oh. shark killer wasp. It's the size of a Toyota. <laughs> Good luck. Oh, damn it. I'm meant to be making people like wasps. So, oh, well, this is just one horror story bit. Okay, and then I won't say anything gruesome about wasps anymore. Yeah, so they are, and um, they're about, they're 12 no, centimetres. Absolutely not. No. That is one of the worst <laughs> things I've ever seen. <laughs> But they are amazing. So, so let me tell you a little bit about them. So, so actually, generally, solitary, that's a solitary wasp. So it's a hunting solitary wasp. So it hunts a spider and it, it stings it and injects its venom. And its venom will have neurotoxins in it, which paralyze it. And then it will carry the spider to its burrow and bury it in its burrow and lay an egg on it and then seal it up. And, and the amazing thing about all these solitary wasps, they all basically do the same thing, but just with different types of prey. They have an incredible, their venom is an untapped, incredible medicine cabinet. They have neurotoxins in there. They have components in their venom are known to have medical properties. So bradykinins, for example, are things that we use in hospitals mm. because it causes vasodilation. And that means that you get drugs around the body quickly. So for like, you know, intensive care patients, they give them some bradykinins. And this has it, I assume, to pump it around quick in the prey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, vasodilate. Yes, exactly. It, it, it relaxes. It relaxes all of the, right. the, the muscles. So that the, yeah. And then mastoparins, which is a peptide, have recently been shown to have be, potentially be a cure for cancer because in, in mice, they've been able to do these experiments where they've shown that the mastoparins will preferentially kill cancer cells over healthy cells. So that's really exciting. Jesus. There's probably loads more in the venom that we've just And you not just found. don't you don't get to that information whilst I'm sat here scrolling uh, at pictures Scary of them wasps. eating tarantulas. You just don't <laughs> get it. You just kind of go, nope. Yeah. Well, so, so there's a but to bring it a bit closer to home for the UK listeners, um, one wasp that they probably saw well, if they bothered to look in the summer, it's particularly in the south where it's a bit sunnier on mm. exposed sandy banks, you might see this wasp called uh, Philanthus or it's a bee wolf. And as the name suggests, it hunts bees. 
Um, and so it hunts the bee, paralyzes it. You know, everybody's a bit sad about that. But then it does the most amazing things with it. Because if you think about it, a solitary wasp is going to have to bury its prey in the ground or in a cell, lay its egg on it, its baby, seal it up and say goodbye. There's no parental care. So if you, and so the prey is paralyzed, so it's not going to, they have to just write right amount of venom to be able to do that, the right mm. kind of venom. But they also need to make sure that that prey stays healthy and doesn't actually end up getting disease or, you know, grow fungi or get bacteria or viruses. And um, so the bee wolf has an amazing uh, way of dealing with this. So first of all, she will embalm her prey. So she licks it all over and basically forms this waterproof capsule, um, which keeps the you know, first sort of line of defense for fungi. Um, and then from her antenna, she exudes this, uh, so a bacterium, streptomyces, which produces streptomycin, which is the second most important antibiotic that we use after penicillin. So these are the, these are the wasps that produce this. And they, she puts that inside the cocoon, which acts as an antibacterial um, antibiotic, antibacterial agent. And then to top it all, the egg of the bee wolf gives off toxic farts of nitrous <laughs> oxide, which acts as a fungicide. So it's just mind-blowing. Honestly, utterly mind-blowing. It keeps feeling like you're just saying what you need to say until you've won me over. <laughs> and you were like, right, I'll just say it's got toxic farts. And then, <laughs> and I've got him, I've got him. <laughs> You found Ryan's level. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure. Toxic farts is actually the technical term. It's just the way nope, I like we're to describe what they do. If it's not in the textbooks, <laughs> I don't. That's just uh, mad. The it effort is mad. it yeah. goes through just to, it really. It's on my mum's potato waffles and baked beans. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's, I'm looking at a picture of them now. They're all carrying the prey as well. Yeah, yeah. They carry it underneath them, like the undercarriage of, yeah. a, of a, like a plane, you know. Again, listeners, please Google pictures of tarantula hawk wasp and also bee wolf UK. They're incredible. I would say that the bee wolf looks a, that little bit more like your classic wasp. It's got yeah, yeah, they do stripe. exactly. Yeah, yeah. You could mistake it, or, or even for for a bee, it does look a bit like a bee. It's quite yeah, that's a bit true, stubbier. Actually. Yeah, yeah, very yeah, bee-like. It's not quite as hairy as a bee. That's but... amazing. That that, that I. <laughs> I just I find nature stuff like that, especially and this is very common in the insect world, as you know, just those intertwined relationships and the incredible I don't know, like you said, the fact that they can create these chemicals or these toxins or these whatever it is that we use Mm -hmm. as well or long to be able to use do you know what i mean it's it's it's, it's, it's just absolutely mad and that's i I think that's where i get my appreciation for the natural world well i I mean the the other thing about wasps i could go on and on the other thing about wasps is that you know what the stories i've just told you are just a few of the study of the of the species that have been studied, but most right. species have put. And it's a very small number. There's very little research actually on this. The bee wolf, in particular, happens to have been quite well studied, but um, most species haven't been looked at in this depth. And because they their venom and their antibacterial antiviral properties of whatever they produce will be very bespoke to the type of prey that they've mm. evolved to paralyzed to, to hunt there's probably all sorts of other stuff 
that you know if Jesus. we only cared to look there'd be so much out there that we we could Probably benefit solve from the world's problems <laughs> yes What's we've got, solve we've the got seven thousand in the uk yeah, exactly. You don't even need the excuse to go abroad. One that potentially has the cure for cancer. <laughs> like, well, well, well. Fights cancerous cells. Let's not oversimplify a sentence. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. that's. Do you know what I mean? It's like it, when you start to look at that, you're like, what else is out there? Like, yeah, oh, that's, yeah, exactly. That's mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, sorry to interrupt the episode, Nature Nerds. It's Ryan, your host here. I just want to give you a quick shout out about something. Into the Wild always aims to be a free show, accessible for everyone. However, running it is not free. If you would like to support Into the Wild and say thanks, then you can do so by visiting ko-fi.com forward slash into the wild pod. The link is in the write-up of this episode. By doing this and buying us a coffee, you are helping the future of Into the Wild. Thanks very much and back onto the show. So for the UK... When when is the time? Is there a time for wasps? When do they come into their own? I mean, in my head, I'm like spring and summer. But is that is there like do they either all die out or hibernate over winter? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so um, mo- well, they're all all the annual species in the UK, and they um the they, they'll found they'll come out in the spring and found their nests. So if they're a social wasp, so let's 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 take our beloved picnic bothering. Yellow jacket wasp, yep. the beloved yep. picnic bothering yellow jacket wasp. So the queens who were last year's brood um, have mated already in the autumn. They will emerge in the spring and they will go off on their own. So you often find them in your, you know, hot air and cupboard suddenly appearing, and you know everybody gets really honestly. Twitter goes mad because everybody thinks they found some sort of giant invasive wasp. Yeah, and it's so just does the Daily Mail. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Asian wasps. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's just a common it's yellow just jacket a wasp. Common wasp. Derek, calm down. <laughs> so yeah, so they'll come out of hibernation. They'll build themselves a nest, um, and they do everything themselves. They found a nest alone. They'll gather pulp from your um, shed door or your, you know, your teak garden table or whatever you've got, and they'll uh, build their paper nest and they'll lay their brood and they'll provision the brood as they grow into larvae. And then once those brood are pupated and, and, and then emerge as adults, they will be the workers and the queen will stay at home and she'll never leave the nest again. Um, and then the nest kind of grows exponentially um, with lots and lots of workers. Um, and actually, this is probably by now we're at sort of April, May, and you've probably got this nest in your loft and you don't even know it's there yet because they're quite small colonies and they're yeah. minding their own business. Um, and then the, the nest grows and grows and grows over the summer. And they are, so the wasps are, the, all the workers are really busy foraging. So they're catching insects in your gardens. They are your sort of quietly going about being your sustainable pest controller, uh, regulating populations in the garden. Doing some pollination as well, because the adults, although they're hunters, they are um, vegetarians. That all the prey goes to the brood. It's the babies that are oh, the carnivores. So they, yeah. they're, they're all veggie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they need to get uh, nutrition from somewhere. And when they feed the larva the, with the prey, the larva do give them this sugary reward, sugary, nutritious treats, which keeps them going. It's a really important part of their diet. But they also supplement that by going to flowers to get nectar, just as a bee does. And in doing so, they will pollinate. 
So they're doing all this stuff. And, 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 you know, we're looking at sort of June time now and you haven't even noticed that there's a wasp nest in your loft. Um, and then suddenly it gets to late August and there's lots of wasps. You know, the nest is really big. There's, you know, maybe eight to 10,000 wasps in the nest Whoa. and the, pu- the larvae are starting to pupate. So then once they're pupated, they don't need feeding anymore. So there's then all of these workers, and we learned the perfect word to describe what happens to them in the pandemic. They got they get furloughed. They're no longer <laughs> wasps are basically get furloughed at the end of the summer. And they don't have as much hunting to do, so they're slightly out of a job. Um, and they're also not getting that sugary nutrition from the larvae because they're not feeding as many larvae. And so they're starting to, you know, having to find sugar elsewhere. And that's when we suddenly start to notice them. Right. Um, and so people suddenly panic, oh my God, I've got a wasp nest. It's like, yeah, you've had that wasp nest for like five months. <laughs> And they've been doing you you all this good stuff. You didn't care, you didn't know. And all these wasps were doing you really good services in your garden. And now you want to kill them. You're going to get the pest controllers in and you're going to kill them just before they produce the sexuals. (laughs) You're just like the government. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And it's the worst time to kill the wasp nest because they've done all the hard work. They've done all the growing of the colony and they're producing now the sexual brood, which are next year's reproductive queens. So they're producing the, the reproductive queens and the males and they're emerging about this time of year at the moment and they'll go off on a mating flight. The males will die as soon as they've mated. The mated queens will then find somewhere to hibernate, disperse and hibernate. And then they're next year's founding queens for the, for the, for wow. the, for the next year's nest. So quite a cycle, quite a journey. It's quite a journey, yeah, <laughs> but it's an annual cycle. And I think people get confused because, you know, honeybee colonies are perennial. They're there for years. Yeah. And so people people assume the same about uh, a Vespula nest. They think, mm. oh, I've got to get rid of them because they'll be here next year and the year after. And I say, no, they'll be done. Just give them to the end I, of autumn. I'm surprised people still think that because how often do you find a abandoned nest? It's quite common. Yeah, like You I find know. them on a tree or you find, like you said, on a, like even like a, like, you know, an old bus stop or something like that. You just find these random nests going, well, that's been obviously abandoned, even though yeah. potentially just from last year. So it's just like, I thought that would have been more known, but, you know, I'm assuming. <laughs> so sometimes the nests do overwinter, and very occasionally, if if they're in a particularly warm house. And there's this there's this picture that goes around on Twitter every year of this old lady's bare bedroom where the bed is just one big wasp nest. Oh, my God. <laughs> And it, and it's it is a bit freaky. Even I'd be a bit freaked out by that. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and clearly, it was fair. a very it was a very over overheated bedroom, neglected. She hadn't been in it for probably a year or two. So we know people like obviously have these feelings about wasps. The two questions I want to ask here is: Do you think we're on our way to correcting that? Do you think we're doing the right things to kind of get people to change their mentality of wasps? And also, what are the threats with wasps? What are people, you know, what is actually, how are their populations doing and and what what needs to be done? Yeah, so I think um, my uh, my impression is that people very quickly will, uh, so our hatred of, sorry, our hatred of wasps is founded on ignorance. So the reason that people don't like wasps is because they don't know what they do. They don't know, they don't have a reason to like them. Um, but as soon as people hear that wasps are nature's pest controllers, that they're pollinators, that they're seed dispersers, that they live in these incredible societies, which are just as impressive as the honeybee, then I find that people do come round to it quite 
quickly. They're like, yeah, oh, yeah. okay, I get it now. Okay, I, you know, they might not love wasps, but they will tolerate them and put up with them um, in the same way that they do, you know, maybe spiders or slugs or something else that they that they might find a bit annoying. So I think it's a slow path, and you know, I, I well, that's one reason. So I've just written this book called Endless Forms: The Secret World of Wasps, and that I'm hoping will have a little bit of a do a little bit of that job in helping people understand how the natural history and the science of wasps is really amazing, and how useful they are in the environment. Um, and I think the messaging from the media needs to change. So the media have got a really strong role in shaping people's knowledge and opinion. Yeah. Absolutely. And I would hazard a, a, a guess that 20 years ago, people didn't know as much about bees and the importance of bees and other pollinators in their gardens. And certainly 20 years ago, you wouldn't go to a garden centre and find bee bombs full of seeds no, you and, really you know, you? Buy, your, buy your flower. Yeah, in your bee hotels, you know, you didn't find those 20 years ago. Part of the reason why the media have... Uh, change what they what they report on about bees is because there's been a lot more science into the yeah, into right. bees as pollinators and concern about food security and that we have to understand uh, pollinators in order that we can conserve them. Mm. So I think we could put a plea out to the media and, and things like this, the podcast, you know, things yeah. like this, the more information, the more opportunities we can get to help people mm. just get the message across that wasps are really useful. Um, even if you don't think they're beautiful and, you know, Tarantula hawk wasps might be a bit scary, but I will say it's beautiful. It's just large. And it is large, but, in its but is there an organism that somebody might hate and fear more than a wasp? Maybe that's a tarantula. And the idea that wasps kill tarantulas can surely be a good thing. Yeah, but <laughs> you've got to think of the psychology here because you, you know that scene on every like Disney animation where like there's this monster and then a bigger monster comes up to get it. It's the bigger <laughs> monster I'm scared of. <laughs> oh, well, never mind. <laughs> but I do get your point. I do get your point. That's why birdie and spider's got that common name. They, they put the impressive talent of that tarantula bird eating tarantula in its name so it just sounds yeah. impressive which is a bit of a shame really because then you're like you've got to be careful then they kill birds and it's like but they're also incredibly beautiful and lovely animals like yeah. <laughs> uh, and i'm sure it's the same but cause the coloration of that wasp was really it's like a red and orange kind of it's really nice yeah, and they're often really iridescent. Mm. Their wings are really beautiful, like the way they catch the light. And yeah, also larger definitely. like insects like that are great because you get to see them clearly. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, like you get to really yeah. go look, oh my god, look at the wings. Like kind of do you yeah, know what I mean? You can you yeah. don't have to zoom in so much. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So how are wasps doing in the like what because I know there's is it every year? Is it, is it the wasp? What's the citizen science called with wasps? I can't remember. Yeah. So with um, Adam Hart at the University of Gloucestershire, yes. we we set up, he and I set up the big wasp survey. That was it. Um, six years ago now. So we've just had our sixth year. Um, and what we do is we ask people to put beer traps in their garden, um, mm. which attracts vast spine wasps. So that's the, the yellow jacket wasps and the hornets. And then we, um, we identify what those wasps are. And that gives us... Uh, idea about the diversity and distribution of wasps across the UK. And so that's been great. It's been running for six years now. And we uh, we have these sort of 
teams of people all over the country, citizen scientists who take part every year and they're called our super samplers, we like to call them. (laughs) Uh, And they're amazing because they put their traps out every year at the same time and they send their data. In fact, with the pandemic, they now identify the insects themselves at home. Previously, they'd send them to us and we'd identify them, but now they're doing it themselves. They've learned how to identify them. And it's not it's not really not that difficult when you've got the right tools, like the right, you know, so we've put together these videos that help them. So that's generating data um, all, all the time, well, that's every incredible. year for us, which is really fun. Um, and it's told us about the distributions of the yellow jacket wasps. And it's also told us about how the hornet's populations are um, gradually there on a range, a range expansion moving north. So the European hornet, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago was quite rare in the UK, but with rising temperatures, warmer summers, warmer winters, the hornet is expanding northwards. And I think we should see that as a, as a good thing. It's not an invasive species. It's a native species. It's a really important predator of a diverse uh, set of insects. It's really important in regulating those insect populations. And also, if you've got hornets around you, then you can kind of be sure that you've got pretty good habitat and biodiversity. Right. So they're one of those signal... Yeah, it's an indicator species, partly because of the prey that they need, but also they tend to nest in old trees. So And so, you know, as we get rid of our ancient woodland, then their nesting habitats are being reduced. So that's a bit of a worry. But they are their populations have been increasing since the 1970s, but now are, are, are sort of plateauing a bit. But they are, their range is still expanding. But in terms of their populations in the UK, we did a study a few years ago where we looked at records of wasps uh, which so, so the wonderful thing about being in the UK is that we have these very keen naturalists and we have had for decades and they will go trooping outside and identifying things and they report it very diligently to these online, you know, recording mm-hmm. um, uh, stations. And so we have really good data for for many species. And so the Vespula wasps are moderately well reported. And we've also looked at museum specimens to know where they were and what, and what, what was there. And we found actually that there's been very little change in their populations, the common yellow jacket wasp over the last yeah. 100 years. The hornets have increased in their populations and some other species have also started to increase a bit. There are a few that are declining, but the Vespine wasps, the yellow jackets and the hornets appear to be relatively robust to land use change and environmental change. And we know that anyway, because actually one of the the most invasive insects is the yellow jacket wasp, which we kindly introduced to different parts of the world, like New Zealand and, and, and Argentina, where they cause, they have no natural predators, no natural enemies. And so they call, they, they build these enormous colonies and they are having ecological damage. So in those countries, there is a reason to not like wasps. <laughs> but in our country, in the UK, Northern Hemisphere, these wasps are actually really important. Right. Yeah. 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 And it's like you said, it shows their resilience to different environments that they're not even used to being in so like it shows there that they can be generalists and change with that so it's no surprise that their numbers are you know not doing too badly considering 
Yeah, yeah. But but there are some solitary wasps that have gone mm. extinct in the UK in the last 30 years. And so just because the uh, social wasps are doing well, it doesn't mean that all wasps are doing well, as it is with the bees. Yeah, you know, yeah. some bees are actually doing really well and others are not doing well. So there are always winners and losers within any taxonomic group. And so we can't just generalise saying all the bees are dying out and all the wasps are fine. That's not true. Some of the bees are fine. Some of the wasps are fine. Some of the bees are not fine some of the wasps are not is fine. it the same with wasps where it's like you know the generous generalists are doing well and it's the the more specific species well i mean no one's actually tested that but but from just looking at you know the vespine wasps do tend to be generalists mm. um the solitary wasps tend to be specialists but they're also their habitats right. will be quite specialized right. so there are lots of species of solitary wasps that for example are only found in heathlands in the uk and as we degrade our heathlands we're going to be losing those species okay well it's a it's a it's with every species we talk about we I say we know the answers, but habitat restoration and <laughs> stop polluting and, and, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And connectivity. It's being, a, you know, they need to be able to disperse. Exactly. So you have to have connectivity between habitats. My last question for you is one that everyone gets asked is if you could advise or pass on a tip about anything to do with connecting on nature or something to do or get involved with, what would you say? I would say take a bit more time to notice nature around you. And I think we did this in the pandemic when people were confined to their gardens and they couldn't go anywhere else. Suddenly people started noticing things. I remember getting people going, oh, I've seen this. What? I've seen wasps much earlier this summer. I was like, well, no, it's because you've actually bothered to sit and watch and take the time. You've been around. You've actually looked at that as opposed to being, you know, running up and down on a train or running to work or going to the pub with your mates. So taking more time to just, you know, step outside your front door and see what's there. You don't have to go far. And once you are in, in, you know, that could just be your back garden or your, you know, the park, your local park. Lie down on the grass and see what you can see and just close your eyes and just listen to what's going on around you. I think it's, you know, quite a popular thing at the moment, just listening to the landscape. What can you hear? And and then you'll realise actually how much anthropogenic noise there is. But then if you can filter out that noise, then what else can you hear? And you'll hear birds singing, you'll hear bees buzzing, you'll hear rustling in the undergrowth. Um, And then, you know, open your eyes, have a look around, see what you can find and just... Or lie on your lie on your stomach on a patch of dirt. Yeah, just look down. And you'll look down. You'll be surprised what you'll find. Yeah, I used to love yeah. that as a kid in the garden, just literally with a magnifying glass going through the grass. Like I used to be like another ant, oh, a little beetle. Yeah. Like just like you just see it all scurrying, <laughs> a woodlouse scurrying. So I don't know why I narrated it like that, but <laughs> like a Netflix show. Thank you so much for being on the show. I've absolutely loved learning about that, and I I love it when I can sit here and Google species as tell people telling me about them because it's the best thing (laughs) but thank you so much for being on into the wild pleasure to talk to you thank you so much it's been great Thanks again for listening, everyone. If you'd like to keep up to date with the guests that have appeared in today's Into the Wild episode, then you can do so on social media. Their tags are in the write-up of this episode. Also, you can follow us on social media at Into the Wild Pod on Twitter and Into the Wild Podcast on Instagram. And if you'd like to get in touch about Into the Wild or ask any questions or suggest any ideas for some episodes, you can email me at intothewildpod at gmail.com. A quick note to say that all the opinions and expressions expressed in today's episode belong to the person that said them and do not represent those opinions held by Into the Wild or anyone that we work with or are affiliated with. Into the Wild always aims to be a free show, however running it is not free. 
If you'd like to support us and say thanks, then you can do so by buying me a coffee. Our Ko-fi link is in the write-up of this episode. Until next time, keep well, stay safe and live the good life.